Uh, please turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. Not the Gospel of John, but 1 John chapter 1. The Apostle John had the privilege of writing three important passages of Scripture. I should say the Holy Spirit inspired John to record three important passage scriptures, the Gospel of John, the letters 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and the book of Revelation. Dr. McGee, who left us in 1988, it seems impossibly left us 20 years ago, but he believed uh, firm so much in the, this book of 1st John, particularly chapter 1, that in the four churches that he served in Southern California over a period of somewhere between 30 and 40 years, each time he went to a new church, he taught them 1 John chapter 1. He felt that the essence of what is in 1 John is very important in the life of every Christian, in the life of every church. A scholar that I have a lot of trust in because he's so faithful to the Scriptures says that he believes that the Holy Spirit had a five-fold purpose in inspiring the gospel, of, or rather the, this letter of 1 John. Five different reasons. Now, there are more than five reasons, but there are five main reasons. The first reason is fellowship. If you look at verse 3, it says, That which we have seen and heard we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And then the second reason is joy. John 1, 1 John 1, verse 4 And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. And then thirdly, uh, chapter 2, verse 1, that we sin not. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And the the, uh, third reason is eternal life. In chapter 5, verses 11 and 12, it says, And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. Who does not have the Son does not have life. And then the fifth reason, and certainly not the the least important, but, but very important reason, is that we believe in the name of the Son of God. In chapter 5, verse 13, it says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Now, in verses 1 and 2, John gives us a description of the Lord Jesus Christ, whom the apostles took some time in really getting to know, and, and the early believers took some time in getting to know. But he writes now after he's an old man. He's probably about 90 years old right now, and he's been with the Lord a long time. He has known the Lord for over 60 years when he writes this down. And he, so he's writing a description of the Lord Jesus, inspired by the Spirit, whom the apostles and the early believers came to know. He says, first of all, in the first part of verse 1, that which was from the beginning. So you can go back as far as you want to, and Jesus was there. He was there in the beginning, whenever that really was. Uh, you know, it's hard to get our mind around this, but the fact is that Jesus has actually always been, and God uses this terminology to say, he was there in the beginning. Uh, in uh, Isaiah 46, it says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God, there is nobody like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. But then let's listen to Jesus, what he has to say about being from the beginning. 
In the last book of the Bible, Revelation 22, verses 12 and 13, this is Jesus speaking. He says, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. So this is the testimony of Jesus, and John is saying, That which was from the beginning we declare unto you. And then in the latter part of verse 1, he says, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, which our hands have handled concerning the word of life. So he says, first of all, we heard him. We heard what Jesus had to say. Think about this. How would you like to have been John and the other apostles and walked with Jesus for three years and listened to every lesson he taught, every word that he said? Wouldn't it be something? They listened to him and they heard what he had to say. They heard truths that they had never heard before that were not plain to them by their teachers at that time, and they listened to what he had to say. For instance, the Sermon on the Mount, if you're very familiar with it, Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. They listened to all of this. They heard this. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. They heard him speak words of kindness to sinners. Think about the woman who was caught in adultery. They threw her before Jesus had rocks in their hands to stone her. Jesus wrote in the sand. Evidently, he wrote something about their sins because they gradually walked away and dropped their rocks. And then Jesus looked at the woman. No one was there now. And he said, where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. I see no one. Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Can you imagine the feeling of this woman? Here she was dragged out of some place where she was committing adultery with someone not her husband. The Jewish law was that she was to be stoned. It says that right in the Old Testament. A person guilty of adultery was to be stoned to death. And they could have obeyed the law and done that, but Jesus had mercy. Thank God he has mercy instead of always just the letter of the law. Can you imagine how she felt when he said, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. These are the words of Jesus that they heard. They heard him silence the skeptics. You know, I I, I talked to a brother tonight just a little while ago who kind of had a tough time at work with people who were skeptics. And Jesus certainly had the skeptics. The Pharisees said to him, you bear witness of yourself. Your witness is not true. Jesus answered and said, even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true. For I know where I came from and I know where I'm going, but you do not know where I came from and where you are going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. And yet, if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone, but I am with the Father who sent me. It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am one who bears witness of myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness of me. They said to him, Where is your Father? Jesus said, You know neither me nor my Father. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. So they heard him say words like this. They heard him teach about prayer. He said, after this manner, pray. 
And I'd like for you to follow me in this prayer, if you would, please. Our Father who art in heaven. You could do it louder than that. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. In earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. They heard Jesus say these words for the first time. And they heard him say other things too. You know, when Jesus was here, the Bible says that uh, people who listened to him said, no man ever spoke like this man. And that's true. No one ever did. Think about the two men on the road to Emmaus. He not only spoke different than anybody had ever spoken, he opened the minds and the hearts of people who listened to him. And he explained to them the Old Testament, which was so hidden to their understanding. Think of the two men after the resurrection who were on the road to Emmaus. Now, the road to Emmaus was about six miles or so long outside of Jerusalem. And they had just heard the women say that they went to the tomb and they saw two angels who said that he had risen. And they could hardly believe it. And they were walking along the road and Jesus joined himself to them, but he hid his identity from them. And uh, he said, why are you talking about all these things and why are you so sad? And they said, do you not know of the things that have happened in Jerusalem, how that Jesus of Nazareth, a man mighty in word and signs and in deed, how he was crucified and it's been the third day since uh, the women who went to the tomb said they saw a vision of angels who said he was alive. And at that point, he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Can you imagine? Would you like to have heard that message? We don't know how long it was, but it took about somewhere between 45 minutes and two hours to walk from Jerusalem to Emmaus. So even if it was two hours, it would be just fine to listen to that, wouldn't it? That he opened up the prophets, the Psalms, and the books of Moses, and in all of those, he picked out all the things that were about him. Isn't that amazing? Now, they heard the Lord Jesus. You and I have never heard his voice. And yet, in our hearts, we do hear him. I think that you might have heard him tonight since you've been singing songs to him, or since I've read you the scriptures. You've heard him in your hearts. Jesus said in John 10, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. There's an old song that most of you are too young to know, but we used to sing it when I was first saved. It's called In the Garden. And some of the words are like this. I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses and the voice I hear falling on my ear, the son of God discloses. And he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own. And the joy I share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. So they said, we saw, we heard him. They also saw him. They saw the wonderful acts that he did. They saw him turn water into wine. They saw him heal lepers. They saw the leprosy disappear as he spoke. 
They cast demons. He cast demons out. They saw that. He saw them open the eyes of the blind. He saw them feed the 5,000 with the boys' lunch. They saw him walk on the water. They saw him up on the Mount of Transfiguration, where John said he was transfigured before us. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. They saw him when he raised Lazarus from the dead. They saw him when he was on trial, when he was brutally beaten and scourged, when he died on the cross for our sins. They saw that. And then after he rose from the dead, they saw him then. And Jesus said, come, touch my hands and put your hand into my side. I am not, uh, um, I, I have flesh and bones. And then they saw him when he went back to heaven, when he looked up and went back to heaven. And the angels spoke to them and said, why do you stand here gazing? This same Jesus, whom you have seen go into heaven, shall come in like manner. As you've seen him go into heaven, he's going to come back the same way. And Paul was the one who told us that the Lord shall descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. So we're going to see that too. And even though Peter says, even though you have not seen him, you love him. He says, having not seen him, you love him. Though now you do not see him yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. It's kind of hard to even put it into words. But you know, we are going to see him someday. Uh, John said in the third chapter of this book that we're looking at, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. It does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And then it says that they touched him. I don't know how much they touched him, whether they, they didn't shake hands in those days, but uh, he certainly touched them when he washed their feet. We know that John was one who laid his head on Jesus' chest when they sat at the table. I don't know this. I haven't read it anywhere in the scriptures, but I have an idea they hugged Jesus. I have an idea he hugged them. We're not the only people who hug people, you know. I think Jesus did that too. And then in verse 2 of our text, it says, The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What does manifest mean? It means to reveal, to show openly, to make apparent. So in God's time, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son and he was manifested to the world. He was shown openly. He was seen that eternal life, which was with the father and was manifested to us. God's people had waited for a thousand of years to see the promised Messiah. Many of them believed he was coming and now he's here and they're looking at him and they're amazed. So now they understood that Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah, is the eternal God. The life was manifested, that eternal life, verse 2 says, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. I was talking to Mike Giblin, who heads up our uh, youth, our Sunday school ministry, and he was talking about how he had a foul mouth before he was saved, and I said, but something happened, and he said, yeah. He said, Jesus happened. That's what happened. He said, so what happened was he got to know Jesus and things changed. And that's the way it is for us. The life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and is, uh, is manifested to us. 
Jesus always has been, always was with the Father, but in time he came to earth. He put it this way. You know, Jesus always spoke in many times in the present tense. He said, most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. He didn't say before Abraham was, I was. He said before Abraham was, I am, because he's always been. Then in verse 3, it says, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. God wants us to have fellowship with him. Isn't that wonderful to know? Once we were far from God, we were cut off from fellowship with him. We didn't know him. We could not have fellowship with him. And in Ephesians 2, Paul tells us, I should say the Holy Spirit tells us, that at that time you were without Christ, being alien from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. He has made both one has broken down the middle wall of separation. This passage is God's declaration that he wants to have fellowship with us and, and have fellowship with everyone who believes that his son is the savior of the world. What is fellowship, this fellowship that we've been given? Fellowship means sharing. It means participation. It means communion. It means that we share with God and he shares with us. We worship him and he blesses us. We pray to him and he answers our prayers. He loves to hear us pray. He loves to hear us worship. He loves to hear us sing to him. In the first century church in Acts 2, 42, it says, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. They loved to get together just to have fellowship with God and with one another. Have you ever thought about how strong fellowship helps you? Fellowship makes you stronger, you know. If you want to get weak, just stop coming to church. When we come together, Jesus comes to be with us. He's here right now in a special way. He said, where two or three are gathered in my name, I am in the midst of them. In Hebrews, it says, let us consider one another to stir up love and good works, not forsaking forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So should we be meeting more and more or less and less? Maybe not more and more, but we should should meet often because the day is approaching, right? And Hebrews says, as you see the day approaching, so much the more you should meet. I heard of a a pretty interesting uh, survey that Fuller Theological Seminary completed not too long ago. They looked at several hundred Christian couples, evangelical Christian couples who claimed to be born again. And they came up with a number of things in their lives. And one that really struck me is that those Christian couples who don't attend church regularly were four times more likely to be unfaithful to their spouse. Four times. And conversely, the spouses, the couples who were in regular fellowship, almost never were unfaithful to their spouses. That shows you that fellowship can bring about holiness. It can. And that's what God, that's the reason God gives us fellowship. And then in verse 4, he says, These things we write to you that your joy may be full. 
The next time you get down on yourself, just remember this, that God wants you to be happy. He does. He wants you to be happy. When you're not happy, he doesn't like it. He wants you to have joy. How many parents do we have in the room? Do you want your children to be happy? Are you better than God? God wants us to be happy. Jesus said, I tell you that there is joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. There's joy in, there was joy in heaven before Jesus came to earth. There's joy in heaven that he's there now. I'm sure they welcomed him back. It must have been really something. You know, when we haven't seen people for a long time, we're really glad to see them, aren't we? Can you imagine Jesus came to earth and was down here for 33 years, and then he goes back to heaven? Do you think they jumped up and down when he came back to heaven? I think so. Jesus said, until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. In Romans 14, it says, the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Paul said, none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. In the Old Testament, Nehemiah put it this way about joy. He said, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared, for this day is holy to our God. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Are you weak tonight? Just remember that the joy of your Lord of the Lord can be your strength. Then in verse 5 it says, This message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. I'm amazed when people blaspheme God and try to blame God and wonder why they're suffering in the world and try to blame God for it. When God is light and in him is no darkness at all. There's no ignorance. There's no imperfection. There's no sinfulness. There's no misery. There's only righteousness, goodness, faithfulness, holiness, and joy because God is light and in him is no darkness at all. We talked about fellowship. What's the basis of having unbroken fellowship with God? Is that what you want? Do you want to have unbroken fellowship with God? What's the basis of that? We break fellowship with God when we walk in darkness. That's what the text says, verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Now, we can have continuous fellowship with God and with his people when we walk in the light. Verse 7 says, if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. He keeps on, that verb is in the present tense, he keeps on cleansing us from all sins. We also have fellowship with God when we keep short accounts with God. How soon should you repent after you sin? Right away. When you don't, it gets worse, doesn't it? It's worse and worse. In verse 8, it says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. God will not break fellowship with you or me, If we sin, he will break fellowship with us if we don't confess our sins. We will not have continuous unbroken fellowship with him if we do not confess our sins. 
We have fellowship with God when we keep his commandments. Jesus said in John 14, He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. I hope I can tell you this story and get through with it. I told the people in the foundations class, you're going to hear it again, I'm sorry, but it'll be good for you. Uh, Ola and I had the privilege of knowing a couple years ago who had been with the Lord a long time. When I was in my 30s and when David was first saved when he was four and a half years old, there was a couple who started coming to our church and they were in their 70s. They'd been on the mission field for 40 years in Peru along the Amazon River ministering to the jungle people, tribes that had never heard the gospel. Bill and Elvira Shear ministered to them for 40 years. And uh, when Bill came back from the field, he was in his 70s, he couldn't do it anymore. Uh, he came to the church I was pastoring. And I thought, man, I need to listen to you. You shouldn't be listening to me. But he took all and me under his wing. And we went to see them and they went to see us. And he told me story after story of, of the field and things that happened there and I'll never forget them. One of the stories he told me was about their son being killed in a plane crash. They only had one son who had a calling on his life to be a missionary as well, to come back and help his dad once they got through school along the Amazon, because he loved those people. He grew up around them. He loved them. But it was during the early days of World War II in the 40s, and he was drafted into the Army Air Corps and was in training to be a pilot flying a plane in Georgia, some military airfield there. While he was in training and flying that plane, he crashed and it killed him. And Bill said he and Elvira flew back to the United States. Their hearts were broken. They rented a car in California and were driving back to Georgia. God, help me through this. You can imagine how they felt their only son. And Bill and Elvira, they were just heartbroken as they were driving back. And all of a sudden, after they'd been on the road just a little while, Bill said, Jesus got in the car. And he said they were filled with such joy they could hardly stand it. And mile after mile, they hated to stop and because they were afraid Jesus would get out of the car. So, but they stopped at a motel, and it took like three days to get there. But every time they got out of the motel and got back in the car, Jesus got back in the car too. And they had such joy, they could hardly, it was unexplainable. Their son was dead, they were going to the funeral, and they were rejoicing and singing songs of praise to God as they went down the road. He said, he that has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. In this letter, John talks about knowing God and having fellowship with God. You know, Christianity is a whole lot more than a set of beliefs about God, about God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. It is also knowing God. It is walking with God. It is walking in the light. It's experiencing the joy of the Lord. It's having fellowship with God. It's having fellowship with the people of God. It's letting our light shine so others can see it and glorify our Father who is in heaven. John tells us this was the experience of the apostles and the early disciples. And he's telling us in this letter that it can be our experience as well. Let's stand, please. Let's sing a song together before we go home, and let's sing to him.
wait just a minute and they'll be here. I'm 
must confess How wondrous your redeeming love And how great is your faithfulness At the cross you beckon me Draw me gently to my knees and I'm lost for words, so lost in love, I'm sweetly broken and only surrendered at the cross you beckon me. Draw me gently to my knees and I'm lost for words, so lost in love, I'm sweetly broken Holy In Jude, it says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before his presence, the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Amen. Go out and show the love of Jesus somebody. Amen. Let's pray together before we go. Our Father, we lift up everybody to you tonight. Help us to walk in the light as you're in the light. In Jesus' name, amen.